0: I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, where we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, except for today. I did not author today's article. It was none other than Mr. Blaine Carver. Thank you for letting me write it. They can't see you when you nod your head. <laughs> no video included. So today you got me, Trevor Cummings, Blaine Carver, and Mr. James Andrews talking about Blaine's article about this road trip from Oregon to Southern California. No, gosh, I I made a mistake. Washington to Southern California. Did I put you in Oregon?
1: You you put me in Oregon, although the the article did mention Oregon. It so did. You came from Medford. I'll give it to
0: you. Okay, yes. is that what you guys did? You did. You went from Seattle to Medford, and then Medford to. Is that a center point?
1: Uh, it was, a it was point. a point for us. We had, uh, some, some family in Medford and then we had family in San Francisco. So we broke the drive up into three days. You can do it in two days, but we decided to go from Seattle to Medford. That was, that was day one.
0: Fair enough. I wrote a similar article to this. I don't know if you ever read it, but it was actually, you're go, you're talking going North to South. Yep. My family's up North. So I'm so used to going South to North uh-huh. and you have those two options, right? Like you, you referenced, you can go the five freeway, which is, uh, smells like manure, <laughs> yeah. and it's quite boring and flat. Or you could take the beautiful coast, but you're going to add about 50% to your drive time.
1: Exactly right. Yeah, so, so day two, our journey was Medford to San Francisco, and it's exactly right. There was a, a fork in the road, and we had to decide, do we want to take I-5? It's a straight shot, about five and a half hours, or do we want to take the coast, the, the Pacific Coast Highway? Uh, that beautiful road, and and that's about eight and a half hours compared to five and a half hours. Uh, So what do you think we took?
0: Uh, I read the article, so you guys, uh, (laughs) I don't think you'd be a coast guy. I think you'd be like, let's get there in five hours. Efficiency. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm probably wired the same way, but it creates a really good analogy when we talk about finance because there's this tension as you mature as an advisor that you realize it's not only about optimization it's also about preference, emotions, habits, all these different things that intertwine to economics and
2: emotions. So it's funny, you guys drove north to south to get sunshine. We did the exact same road trip in college with my guy friends because we wanted to get rain. <laughs> so we went straight north to do the experience and we also did the same thing. Do we take the boring route or do we take the fun route? And of the time, for a guy's trip, you go with the fun route and just (laughs) see what life has to offer. But the topic is so fun to talk about because it touches every financial plan we deal with. It's all about the tension of getting the most out of your money, getting the most out of your life, what trade-offs are more important to you, what isn't more important to you, and and trying to find that balance between the two.
0: You guys have little kids. I, too, have little kids. So have you seen the movie Onward? I have not. Okay. Okay. Nobody's really seen it. My kids have watched everything on Disney Channel. so. Uh, but there's a moment where they're going on a quest. And there's one of the brothers that says, like, okay, like, here's the fastest way to get there. And the other brother, Barley, is like, no, when you're on a quest, you never take the obvious route. And he takes a pen and he just, like, does these squiggles, like, around this mountain. And it makes no possible sense. And this is what I'm thinking about right now with you and your guy friends. Like, we're on a quest. We cannot take
2: the most obvious route. So... <laughs> if are going to bring that up. So we had a decision to make. So we were planning the night before and like, well, do we rise early in the morning to beat the traffic and have a you know a well-planned start? And then someone said at Friday night, what if we just leave now? <laughs> so we started the trip with an all-nighter, which I don't recommend anyone ever start a trip with an all-nighter. And it made the journey way more fun, but it's, it's that chaos that you just like, do you go the easy route or do, no? No, you you make it interesting.
0: Yeah, this is a conversation between my wife and I all the time because I'm like, hey, do you want to just leave right now? And she's like, no, because <laughs> yeah. you f- fall asleep. And uh, what happens, I do most of the driving. She's like, all of a sudden, it's like, 11 o'clock at night, not even that late. And she's like, you got the window down. You're slapping yourself in the face. You're pouring water on your face. Like, you can't stay up. And I'm like, but imagine it. The kids will be asleep the whole time. So, (laughs) In a a perfect world, they might be. (laughs) In a perfect world. So we'll steer back to finance. So maybe you tell us a little bit, Blaine. I know when you were cutting your teeth in the industry, you went and got some certifications mm-hmm. um, you're a self-proclaimed nerd. Mm-hmm. So you like this idea of optimization. So maybe you can tell us about your journey and how you matured in understanding that it's more than numbers.
1: Yeah. Well, shout out to my uh, first boss, Glenn Mars, because uh, when I was 21 and fresh in the industry. Related to Bruno or no? No, no. <laughs> and uh, he, he taught me uh, two, two rules. The, the first one was what we've talked about—that every financial decision has both an economic and an emotional component. The second one is that as you age, the emotional component tends to weigh heavier. And and that was when I, as you mentioned, Trevor, got my CFP, I got my licenses, and I was just excited to provide technical advice because I thought that if we just optimized the spreadsheet, maximized wealth, that was what it was all about. As I matured, I realized that every decision is tied so closely to our emotions and you, you can't provide a um, a, a spreadsheet or a data or, or numbers recommendation without hitting on some emotion
0: of the clients. So I find myself quite often as an advice giver using this language and I'm bad at this. Cause like once I figure out a, a, a certain term that I like, I kind of use it a lot. So if you're a client, you're listening to this, you're <laughs> like, Oh, I've heard him say that so many times, but There'll be often times where I'm looking at a fork in the road, mm-hmm. right? And I will say, this decision will not make or break your financial plan. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I can tell you the route that's the most efficient,
2: and I will also concede to your preference. I have regular discussions with my dad who's like, James, like, why can't I just retire right now? Like, why do I keep having to work? All my friends are retiring. I just want to be done. And so, oh, I look,
0: Dad, it's all about my inheritance. Like, you exactly. need to keep oh, my, working.
2: Dad, you will never retire. That's <laughs> what I want to say. Um, and I say, well, Dad, like, you, you kind of have these two habits. And one of them is y- you take your grandkids to Disneyland a lot. And then the other one is, is you give a lot of money away. And so. If you were to stop those two habits, you could probably retire tomorrow. Do you want to stop taking your kids to Disneyland? Well, no. Okay, well, Mm -hmm. it's a trade-off. Like, sure, you can retire earlier, have financial freedom, but at what cost is that to you? At what point is optimizing the model not important anymore?
0: So that's a good question for you, Blaine, is at what point do you step in and say, hey, we're going to have to lean out? away from your preference? Mm. Because uh, I actually think this could be detrimental or the trajectory is not wise, or maybe you can walk us through that.
1: Sure. I like to start with questions, curiosity. So um, just by asking questions, you, you get to know more of those emotions, whether it's, you know, hopefully it's zoom or in person, you can kind of see the body language or, or hear what their, their emotions are saying, but eventually you do have to step in with the numbers that's part of what we're paid to do is to show the, the numbers, the data, the spreadsheet. Um, and we need to be really good at that. The data has to be accurate. The good thing about data is it, it can't be faked like emotions can. And so you do have to...
0: Oh, data sh- can be faked, but go ahead. Oh Well, yeah, <laughs> it can be. Let's, <laughs> let's not
1: go down that rabbit trail. <laughs> but... We the numbers
0: sh- speak for themselves, you're kind of saying.
1: Exactly. Yeah, we, we show them the data because it informs us. But ultimately, we kind of lay both the data and the emotions on the table.
0: Some language I use to being a Sunday school teacher, I have found that I can't treat all the students the same. I had this one student, I've talked about it before, but had so much trouble listening. And the biggest strides we made with this, he was a second grader, right? So, but the biggest strides we made with him is we gave him a coloring book and he colored during the lesson. Hmm. And it's amazing. I had to ask him right after, what did we learn about? And he could recite it perfectly, Right. But it was difficult because did it mean that the other kids could draw? No, like we didn't allow them. But we created an environment that this little boy could be successful in. I've learned that with clients, I try to keep them out of harm's way, knowing where their bias is or where they lean to try to say, okay, this particular client, I know they say that there's nothing they're going to spend money on in the near future. But every 24 months, some Mm -hmm. big purchase is going to come up. So having a, a healthy cash reserve is really wise because it allows me as the advisor, when they ask a question, I can go perfect. I can fulfill that request, fulfill it from the cash account, and it gives me some, some lead time on filling that back up because I know in the next 24 months, they're going to ask the same thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Understanding the history of a client, I think, is really important. Obviously, it takes time to, to learn that. Uh, and it takes asking a lot of questions. But I think about, uh, you know, giving the recommendation of saving 10 or 15% or 20% of your income. And, and some clients just just balk at that. They, they you know, year after year, they're, they're not saving what they should. But then maybe you uncover later that maybe a parent or a grandparent passed away in their 50s, way too young. And they were such a saver. And then they never got to enjoy that. And so it's important for us as as advisors to understand that history and know that, okay, I can't just provide them the spreadsheet and assume that they're going to take that advice.
0: Yeah, I literally just got a phone call before I walked in here with somebody that I don't know well. And they're they're exploring if we'd be a good resource for them. And they were saying, hey, what would your recommendation be? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to give you two answers. I'm gonna give you the short answer, broad stroke, Mm -hmm. but I also have to be really honest with you. There's so many factors that would influence my advice that I'd have to ask a lot more questions and I don't have the time right now. So understand, I wanna satiate your question and I'm gonna give you a real general answer. But if you wanted it more personalized towards you, we'd have to have a little bit more dialogue.
2: The behavioral aspect to financial decisions is huge. So there's there's a, a gentleman named Daniel Kahneman Uh, who's written a book on behavioral finance. I'm sure we'll touch on this. Uh, In my old firm, we had an interesting way that we dealt with uh, this with clients. As we said, generally speaking, people have three biases towards financial decisions. It's a fear base, meaning they want to protect what they have. It's a commitment base, meaning the decisions are made to be in light of the context of the family and communities. Or it's a happiness base. Basically, it's a pile of money that you want to enjoy. And so as we got to know clients, the goal was to understand what biases they had. The bias isn't right or wrong, but it's a blind spot. And so as the advisor, you want to understand your client's blind spots so that you can advise them to kind of smooth out the wrinkles. For example, it's common for clients to be good savers because they have money for us to manage. That usually means they spend less than they earn and they will die on a pile of money. Unless they want that to be the end result, my job as an advisor is to give them permission to enjoy their retirement Mm -hmm. more, right? And vice versa, someone who's more of a happiness focus, they tend to spend a little bit too much and we need to pull the reins back and say, hey, we need to get to that 10 or 15% saving marker. Um, But it's helpful to be a third party in the room, walking a client through the trade-off so they understand their own blind blind spots and how it's related to their finances and what's important to them.
1: Isn't it interesting that we are you know, giving them permission to spend the money that they've earned and, and work so hard
2: to save up? And they fight it. They're like, uh-huh. no, I don't think I can. I'm like, I, I think you can. I think you're going to be okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had a similar conversation with a client, I think it was last week, where I was saying, hey, help me to understand more. And I don't have that framing that you have, uh, like you said, about um, happiness, commitment, commitment, and fear, and right? Fair, fair. I've never used that structure. But one of the things I asked this couple was, Hey, since both of you are still working, let me tell you what it leads me to assume. And then what you can do is challenge my assumptions. So my assumption is either you really want to leave more to your heirs, right? Um, cause, cause what you're doing right now is really adding a cherry on top, or you just love what you're doing for work and it has no connection to the money. And one of them was like, actually, I I hate my job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was like, perfect. So we should just stop right here and meditate on that. Mm -hmm. So why are you still working? Right. Well, when you come from, you know, a meager past, you have maybe it's that fear thing you're talking about that you want to make sure that you're a good steward and that you're prudent and that you're thankful to have a job and a a well-paying job. So that permission part, I I felt in that conversation where I was like, Hey, just so you know, from the economic standpoint, Mm -hmm. you've already won the race. You're good. So from the emotional standpoint, you two, you know, you're a couple, you break away from me and you, and you guys chat and noodle on like, what do you want to do? Mm. Um, and I'm not telling you to stop working or or do any that. I'm, I'm literally telling you, if you could spend your time anywhere, where would it be? Because your finances have allowed that flexibility, and I just want to bring that awareness to you.
2: Yeah, it's it's helpful to have a context with a plan where you, you can see an outcome. And I like you mentioned this, Trevor, at the beginning. Um, I really like how you frame it, which is. Some decisions uh, are are a must-make decision, and some are a, it doesn't really matter, doesn't have a huge impact. And so a common common question that comes up with clients, especially as they live in California, is, hey, should I relocate out of California? Mm -hmm. I know the taxes are bad. Maybe I don't agree with the politics, right? Is this something I should do or that I can do? And so some clients will run the plan and say, hey, look, if you stay here, your plan is okay. If you move to, say, Arizona, You can have an extra one or two thousand dollars a month in disposable spending. If that's a trade-off that works for you, great. It's okay either way. And then other families, it's like, hey, either we we work longer or we do relocate, and it's more of a must-have decision. But giving clients the freedom to choose and say, hey, look, here's here's how the chips have fallen, and you can make an informed decision. As an advisor, I'll direct you if this is a must-make decision or if this is a we have options and we can kind of punt it down the road decision. I love how you frame that.
0: I really like scenario planning too, maybe because I'm a big fan of In-N-Out Burger. Like when you walk in there, you can have one patty or two patties, right? It's a pretty (laughs) simple decision or you can have four patties, right? Uh, But I, I really enjoy being in conversations like you said about California, Arizona doing juxtapose the scenario side by side and be able to unpack the cost benefit and really let them unpack it. Right. Um, yeah. Because there's going to be familial decisions. There's going right. to be weather decisions. There's going to be, you know, the things that they like to do and their free time decisions. And to be able to unpack those by simply looking at something side by side is extremely helpful yeah. where I would give advice to a young advisor, right. Is yes, somebody has hired you to give advice, right. Right. But there is something powerful about equipping them with knowledge and helping them make decisions shoulder to shoulder rather than just say, do this and not allowing them to know the why behind the what. Yeah,
1: it's that partnership that's huge. Um, and I, I just love how you framed that, that conversation with the couple, Trevor, of kind of showing the numbers and letting that inform us. But ultimately, emotion, you know, most of us make decisions based on emotion. And so we inform with numbers but we ultimately make decisions based on those emotions.
0: Do either of you guys have an example where you saw the emotions leading very strongly one way, but you understood that the economics were like almost a polar opposite,
1: polar opposite as in like this won't work.
0: Yes. So I'll start. And then if you guys have examples, I love case studies. I just feel like it, it really can uh, humanize what we're talking about. So I know an individual and uh, they love reading the news, right? So they digest so much content that because the news can can make a certain spin and can cause a lot of fear, like you're talking about, this person has a a tendency to always want to flip the switch. Like, hey, maybe our portfolio is, I'm making this up, but like 70% stocks and 30% bonds. Let's go all cash. And it's like a pretty normal conversation that I have. So I can empathize that, hey, you spend a lot of time digesting a lot of content, which leads you to have a certain paradigm about how the world works and what the future has in store. But I also know that equipping him with uh, the ability to push that red button is not good. So him and I have gotten to conversations before where I kind of put my hands up like, I can't be your advice giver if I let you push that red button, but it's your money, so don't take this the wrong way. I am I am standing in front of the red button for a moment to allow you to say, if you still want me to partner with you, collaborate with you on this, I can't sign off on pushing the red button. But it's your money, it's your preference. So if you want to, I will simply set aside and remove myself from the equation. But it, it, it I've had the conversation more than once.
1: That's hard. I've I a different example, but uh, just speaks to the, you know, emotions and, and economics. But we're fortunate enough to work with a lot of clients who have a, a lot of wealth and wealth that they'll never spend in their lifetime. And often we can present the spreadsheet. And it's it's clear that they're going to you know, die with a, a pile of money, as you said, James. And that's interesting, because when we talk about our allocation, investment allocation, these types of clients, you could stick them in 100% cash and they would just be just fine for the rest of their life. You could also stick them in 100% stocks and they'd be just fine for the rest of their their life. And it's interesting because you present those two options and you really just get to see what's important to the client. If the client says, I want to be 100% cash, well, that tells you that peace of mind is probably of paramount importance to them. Now, if a client says, I want to be 100% stocks, That means there's some sort of legacy that they probably want to leave, whether it's to charity or kids. So I love those conversations.
0: Yeah. I like how you frame that too, because I personally like to live in the extremes because it helps us find the middle ground Mm. where that person should live. So like a lot of the time in the more than enough conversations, I will tell them, you know, jokingly, right? People are learning all my little uh, sayings, (laughs) but I'll tell them like, you can literally take all of your money stuff it under the mattress. Mm-hmm. As long as your house doesn't burn down and burn that money, you're going to be fine. So this isn't a conversation about, uh, do you have enough? We've already solidified that. Okay. Now you have enough. What
2: does good stewardship look like? Mm-hmm. There's so many examples I can think about of folks who, who've oversaved and over- underspent, um, from that fear base. Uh, just cause we, we talk to those people a lot. I can think of just on the flip side of it. Um, there are, there are families that I've met with who, you referenced this earlier. They had a tragedy earlier on in their life, mm-hmm. whether their parents were diagnosed with something or a friend was. And so they got a taste for how fleeting life can be mm-hmm. and that it could be gone at any time, which is a very real dose of reality for a lot of people. And so they'll take that with their finances and spend down they won't save um and it's it's a hard thing because the emotions are overriding the financial decisions and so Mm -hmm. like hey guys like you have kids if this continues and you are healthy your kids are going to have to support you is that your intent and it's like, oh no my whole point is to not be a burden on my family and so okay then let's Mm -hmm. work through this let's understand the what if extremes on hey if you were to pass tomorrow here's one extreme but let's put this on the other extreme and say if you were to not pass tomorrow, but you were to live to your 90s, what would this look like as well? And right. I like the extreme example because it showcases the variety of outcomes that can come from a client's life and say, hey, look, we, we don't know what's going to happen. We really have no idea. But we know what's important to you. We know where your heart is. Our, our job here is to help you navigate that decision and make those trade-offs in the best possible way. Maybe you're single and this is the time for you to just – Spend your money and have fun, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If you're in a different stage of life with different responsibilities, it's time to rein that in a bit and start thinking long-term future. Mm-hmm. Um, but people have these emotional biases, and they don't realize that they do many times because it's so innate with a personal experience.
1: Speaking of the saver mentality, I had a really interesting um, financial planning experience when I was fairly young in the industry. I had a client who got pregnant with triplets. And oh, uh, she was working full-time, he was working full-time. Uh, he was a classic saver. Uh, he really felt that burden of, of saving as much as he possibly could. And you could see the tension when they came in for the financial planning meeting telling me that they're pregnant with triplets and just unpacking this emotional uh, excitement, but also financial burden of, of triplets. And you could tell that the, the wife wanted to stay home with, with the, her three babies, but there's this tension of, but we're not going to be able to save for retirement. And I was able to show them just on the spreadsheets, again, starting with numbers. Uh, hey, what if we just paused retirement contributions for many, many years? What would that look like? Still looked fine. So hopefully giving them permission to say, you can make the decision that's best for your family. But that was a fun
0: conversation to, to walk through. Yeah, I've, I've come across people too. I, I can appreciate what you guys are saying about encouraging People to save. But from my experience, again, I'm not saying this is the right answer, but from my experience, sometimes it can be hard to convince somebody to adopt that new behavior. Mm-hmm. So sometimes where I'll go is say, hey, let's say this hypothetical person has really good income and they're the sole income owner, the sole, sole income earner in their family. I'll encourage them. Be really intentional about getting sufficient life insurance and mm-hmm. sufficient disability insurance now um, because you have a high level of confidence in your ability to earn income, which I can appreciate. I know how you're wired, but that way it gives you a safety net if, God forbid, your tour duty ended early or um, there was some disability that uh, made you unable to work. So for for them, I'm saying, hey, maybe you're not going to build that balance sheet that allows you to stop working, but maybe you just love working and you just need those protections around the income. So again, I love optionality to say, here's how you're wired, here's who you are, and and now how do we build a financial plan that allows you to to use the coloring book during the lesson? You you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So uh, it does, it's fun, right? I think our job is a lot about solving riddles, so Uh, not every riddle is the same. It has some rhyming and similarity, but we can look and say, how do we customize a solution to meet this person? And the background always matters. You know, one of my favorite authors in finance, he talked about how he's very risk averse, right? Which wouldn't match his background and what he's done. But he's like, now let me tell you why. He's like, when I was 16, my two buddies invited me to go skiing. He was a, a like a junior Olympic level skier. And uh, we typically went, what's it called? Like out of bounds. Is that the right term? I don't ski. I don't, yeah, I don't know the, yeah. the, the term. It's called out of bounds, right? Like, <laughs> California. Like, like trying to go to like fresh powder uh-huh. and kind of outside of, of what might be safe. So that day he told his two buddies, hey, I'm not going to go today. I got something else to do. I'm not, just not, not feeling it, right? Later that night, the parents called him and said, hey, have you seen the kids? Mm. Uh, they died in an avalanche that night. Mm. So for him, he's like, Risk is real, mm. you know what I mean. So, it, he gives that story. My nose hairs are getting tingly as I'm trying not to cry right now. But uh, he gives that story as an example of like, if you want to understand why my portfolio looks like X, why I have so much cash, it, it it's totally non-financial, mm. right? I experienced this at a young age, and it's just I it will I will never forget it. Mm.
1: So, yeah, the the money scripts they call it those those core money memories. Studies have shown that they're almost all formed in the first 20 years of life. So if you think about that, that's your your parents mostly and your cultural background. Uh, they inform your financial decisions for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, I, I will say from my uh, own life experience, that speaks to me. Because when people ask me why I'm an advisor, there's a lot of answers I can give. But I saw so many people I love struggle financially when I was growing up. And that struggle financially leading to so much relationship tension mm-hmm. that I was like, I don't want that. So mm-hmm. uh, I figured if I could give other people advice, then I'd probably know what I was doing myself. So
2: <laughs> the last thing I'll leave uh, is just as we close out this topic is I'm thinking about um, the trade offs that we make and just where we want it, where we want to take that. Uh, one example I, I think about often is working. And just, do I like my job? Do I want to keep doing my job? Do I want to ever change my job? It, it takes so much of my time and uh, it's obviously a part of my legacy and it's part of what I'm passionate about. But it, when it comes with clients, it's about, hey, I had one some I had one client the other, the other few months ago, they were just miserable. They were working incredibly hard, long hours. They couldn't retire yet, but they knew in a few years it would all be over. And they said, hey, look, what if instead of hating her life for three years, you worked somewhere else for five or six. Like how, how would that look? And we ran the plan. And said, so, Hey, this, this kind of works, this is okay. And so as I think about, if I'm, if I'm an end listener, I'm thinking this, this makes a lot of sense. I understand how can I apply this in my life? One of the areas that I think about often is where I spend the majority of my time and where my financial anxieties arise the most. And so for me, I look at my saving patterns. I look at my investing patterns and I evaluate, is this appropriate for me or is this coming off of a fear that I have? Is the work I'm doing something that's meaningful to me or is this also fueling a fear or happiness motivation that I have? And taking a minute to have a self-reflection moment on the decisions that affect 80% of my outcome, right? Usually that 80-20 rule, right? 20% of your decisions, mm-hmm. 80% of the outcome. Yeah. And taking stock of my life and saying, okay, the, the decisions that make the most impact What are the inputs into that decision? And am I actually in agreement with what those inputs are?
1: I'll just kind of, as we close out our time, this topic, this article, it's why I love my job. It's why I'm in this industry is because we get to walk with clients through the highs and the lows emotionally. Uh, We get to talk about life dreams and life goals and aspirations but yet I also get to go back to my my spreadsheet, right? I, I said in the article, I'm a numbers nerd and I, I do love the numbers. And so you get to pair the best of both worlds in my mind. And I, I, can, I think for both of you, it's probably the same, but it's just fun. It's fun to walk through these uh, highs and lows with clients and uh, just help them, help partner with them to make decisions that um, don't just maximize wealth at the end of the day, but actually achieve their goals.
0: Yeah, I will amen to that. I'll add, too, as my closing thoughts, the article I'll probably write in the next couple weeks is I'm just so interested because I love people. Like, you guys love people as well. And when you get really close to somebody, you can start to see themes. And I think some of those themes can uh, be negative, right? So to be able to go shoulder-to-shoulder with somebody uh, as a brother um, and be able to say, hey, here is a theme I'm seeing. And it could be financially, it could be faith-driven it could be all these things and and say hey where is this theme coming from right like you can see this how it's surfacing but going a little bit deeper into where's the root um that is very enjoyable gives a lot of purpose mm-hmm. a lot of meaning to conversations um and helps us like james said to one be introspective mm-hmm. uh, and two to mature and to grow. And, um, the fun thing is we can use finances as a platform, a safe platform yeah. to talk about those things. And then we can be thoughtful on our own is, does this overlap into how I operate as a father or a mother or a mm-hmm. husband or a wife or a son or a daughter? Um, right. So, uh, it seems like valuable conversations with, uh, candor and honesty, uh, truth and love can really be a, a positive attribution civilly to our society and all these things. And uh, it, it it gets us excited about doing exactly what we do. So, um, Blaine, thank you for writing the article. We appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for letting me. Hopefully, James will be writing an article here in the next few weeks. It's and we talk about it on this podcast. <laughs> um, we will ask that you rate the podcast. Five stars are preferred. You can leave comments. A great way to get a hold of Blaine, James, or me, Trevor, is you can use this email, Tom, T-O-M, at com Again, T-O-M At com. We really appreciate you listening And as always And of course We'll be back next week With more of our Thoughts, Thoughts on Money, money.
3: performance. And is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice.